Hello, and welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the ups and downs of the creative process and how to keep it moving. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. I am a writer, singer, improv comedy newbie, science fiction geek, and creativity coach who loves helping right-brained folks get unstuck. I am so excited to be coming to you with interviews and coaching calls to show you the depth and breadth both of creative pursuits and creative people, to give you some insight into their experiences, and to inspire you. My guest today made her debut at the New York City Opera in Handel's Alcina, for which the New Yorker called her a Handelian of crisp accomplishment. She has performed at venues including Carnegie Hall and with companies such as Glimmerglass and the Boston Lyric Opera, in operas including Rigoletto, Faust, and the Barber of Seville. I met mezzo-soprano Donna Fortunato in 1992 when I was a junior at Bucknell University. Donna began her musical studies at Bucknell before transferring to the New England Conservatory of Music, where she now teaches. If you heard my most recent interview with William Payne, you'll know that Donna came back to campus to join the Rook Chapel Choir for a performance of Aaron Copeland's In the Beginning. As you're about to hear, she enjoyed her return to campus as much as we enjoyed having her. I'm thrilled that Donna was willing to take some time out of her schedule to talk to me. Our conversation ranged from the pros and cons of a liberal arts education versus a conservatory education, what it takes to make it as a conservatory student, the value of doing your homework and really knowing something inside and out, and teaching and encouraging the creative spirit. I've included some recording links in the show notes, so do be sure to check them out. Here's my conversation with Donna Fortunato. Thanks so much for talking to me tonight, Donna. I'm really, really happy to be able to talk to you. I'm very curious to hear about your creative journey over the years. Oh, my pleasure. So I know that you briefly went to Bucknell, but I don't exactly know what happened after you left. I think from looking at your website, I think my impression of where you went may not have been correct. So I'm wondering if you can fill me in. Uh, okay. I, in a way, I'm sorry I left. I should have just stayed there. But, you know, people make, uh, they have plans in their mind that they like to follow through and everybody wants to become a star at that age. Like, oh, become a star. And uh, so I, I had in my mind to go to New England Conservatory of Music, which is a wonderful school, but it's not Bucknell. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I got some some good and some not so good instruction. Here and there, it's just life. I think this is true in any institution, especially if you're taking voice, if you're in a vocal program. Uh, it's a mixed bag. And um, I stayed there, as is my want. You know, I stuck, stuck around and got several degrees and did eventually uh, get those people uh, that I needed to help me uh, in terms of music and making music and having a life in it, they were very, very helpful. So it all worked out in the end. And um, But I still wish I stayed at Bucknell. <laughs> what can I say? What, what was different about Bucknell that makes you wish you'd stayed? Uh, all of this, of course, is in retrospect. But you cannot, um, you can't find some of the one-on-one experience that you would have had at Bucknell. Uh, in, in another place, just can't a big city, a big city school, uh, pressures that Bucknell supplied, but in a very different way, uh, a little more that that nurturing and and uh, feeling of of care and and mentoring. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's you know that it was good 
while it lasted, I must say. <laughs> um, you know, I, must, I, I wish that I'd brought some of those people with me through life, but they're, they're certainly back in the back of my mind, uh, all of these, these teachers who were so important to me. So it's been good. Good. Well, I'm curious to hear about the teachers that you knew along the way, especially before you got to Bucknell. You know, when, when did you realize that music was something that you really needed to do with your life? Uh, I loved music all along and played by ear on the piano all along, much to my sister's regret. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, but it, you know, I didn't want to practice, didn't want to do anything, just have fun at the keyboard, uh, but was forced to do so and then to play organ and no, that's not working. Then to play violin and then it was, please don't play that. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, eventually it was like, now what? Uh, around the same time as, as the vocal change, I thought I had a voice. And so I said to my mother, I want to take voice and I want to sing. I want to be a singer. And she's like, well, I don't believe this. But anyway, we went to a wonderful voice teacher named Blanche Bottebeau, Madame Blanche Bottebeau in Charleston, South Carolina, who was very old fashioned with long dress, probably in her 70s, long black dress to the floor, very jolly kindly person and um she she said many wonderful things the first meeting but the big one was well yes you have a talent but you know what do you want to do and and nobody had ever asked me that um i looked to my mother and miss barbo said no i'm asking you do you really want to do this and i said well yes then if you do uh nobody will stop you so I, I think that was it. You know, somebody who gives you the reins and says, go ahead and do your thing. And That's that was it. Isn't that something that was so smart of her? So to, amazing. Uh, yeah. Great, great, great lady in so many ways. And we did a lot of music, did a lot of singing, did a lot of practicing. Maybe not the best practicing, but I practiced <laughs> a lot. You know, when you're 14 years old, you don't always know everything. Right. Uh, but But she was... Very good with the fundamentals. Very, very good. So that's, I still think of her a lot. I think of all these people in the line a great deal and thank them you know, for, for helping out. What did your mother think when she said that no one would stop you? I, she got very quiet. <laughs> you know, I'd, I think she was throughout her life one of these let's wait and see and don't intrude too much type of people. Mm-hmm. So she was very supportive, and if Miss Barbeau thought that, Madame Barbeau rather thought that I had an instrument, that, um, you know, she thought it was probably okay, and that I sang a lot in church, did a lot of church solos, and this and that was loud, and I guess it was okay. So, um, you know, she was a, a, a very decent mother. She tried very hard to be supportive and caring, even though I don't think she and my dad had a clue what I was getting into, and I, of course, didn't have a clue, but um, it became clear that this was a calling, I guess, for all of us. I think this is true. If you're staying in music, it's got to be a calling because it's, it's, uh, the other areas of it are very difficult for many. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, enjoyed. I've enjoyed the trip and the calling. <laughs> so when, when you finally did realize that it was a calling, what changed for you? Um, well, I, I always, I always knew this was what I wanted to do after being with her. 
and um, just kept moving. You know, I must sing this and I must sing that, probably stupidly. You know, I didn't know what I was talking about, but, you know, I would sit in the practice rooms in Bucknell and read through a whole Schubert album or something. I mean, it was idiocy. But, um, you know, I just felt like I had to chew up the scenery <laughs> and, and make music and sing. And and um, so it just kept going from there. And I'm, I'm so glad that I, I had that... Um, that drive, and I guess that resilience to keep going. Uh, and I try to instill that in my students, too. Sure. How, how did that resilience show up for you? I mean, where did you find that it already existed for you, and where did you need to build it up? Um, the, the, the resilience probably had to do with making music. I knew that I had to make music, and that making sounds and making words and putting it together was of massive interest to me. I really was something that was life-giving. So that built up a kind of a backlog of, of need. And, and I guess I had enough of a vocal resilience that it, it withstood some of the knocks that I gave it. Uh, and so I just kept going. And I guess in the real world, the resilience was uh, what other people would do uh, in terms of, um, how can I say, in terms of being downputting or mm-hmm. not giving one a, a hand, and that's okay. I waited my turn, and I did my best, and um, things worked out okay. And if there was competition, uh, all right, you know, just move to the side and do your own thing. That's all I've ever wanted to do. Just let, let other people do their thing. I'll do my thing. It sounds very 60s. Child of the 60s, you know, we'll all do our thing. Uh, and I, invariably in competition, somebody gains and somebody loses. I'm, and I don't know what to say about that. But it's that's the way it is. It sounds, though, like you haven't really found yourself in the trap that a lot of creative people and a lot of non-creative people, even though I don't think those exist, um, mm-hmm. tend to find themselves in where they get stuck you know, trying to deal with comparison that they, they're always comparing themselves to somebody else. And then they kind of end up putting themselves down because they think they're not good enough. It sounds to me like you managed not to do that. I tried not to. I think a lot of young singers probably don't know really what their voice is and it begins to develop and become clearer and clearer what the, what the parameters are. And if there's extra freedom to begin, then that will help it develop. Um, somebody said something very telling to me early on. Well, you know, if you treat this instrument well, you can have a long career. And I said mm-hmm. to myself, let's sing till I'm 75. And so, you know, I'm moving <laughs> forward in time. Here we are, you know, and that's okay. Love to sing. Um, and, and it's true. I think oftentimes things shift, the voice shifts. The repertoire can shift, not for everybody, but it can. And what was not available is now available to one to sing and, and so forth. So there's a lot of uh, ability to um, make these adjustments and, and keep moving. And, and that's okay. You know, it's not, I, I wish that it were a longer life so I could do more. Mm-hmm. But at least I've managed to do a fair amount, and that's, that's good, good to know. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Wow. So with with your first teacher in particular, since you are obviously very fond of her, was there any particular piece of advice that she gave you that has really stuck with you over the years? Um, I, I think the, the big one was be true to yourself. You know, find out what works for you. I uh, find out how to be with other people, although I had good training and being polite. Yes, and thank you, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, do the right mm-hmm. thing. And uh, coming from the South, that's somewhat ingrained in one. Uh, that era, at least, it was very, they learned how to be polite and give people their due and then keep, you know, keep going, keep improving, keep uh, struggling, keep, keep finding yourself and help other people when you can, and, and that's that. So good advice from her, you know, be, be true. Yeah, that's good advice for anybody. Yep. Absolutely. That's great. So when you finally ended up on the kind of stage that you had dreamed of being on, how did it compare to what you imagined it to be? <laughs> um, I, I don't think I had a real image of it in my mind. Okay. Um, except that it was going to be a big deal and, you know, a big stage and a big deal and a big audience and, you know, a nice costume and all that. And in a way, mm-hmm. it it, uh, it really did come true in the New York City Opera and all the, the excitement that went with that and all the fabulous singers and directors and so forth. So the whole thing really uh, matched up to maybe some of my image as a young lady. And so I'm grateful for that too. Was there anything about it that really surprised you that you weren't expecting? Uh, the only thing that has ever surprised me uh, in this business is, is the amount of, um, I don't know how to, how to say it. It's not competition, but there's an edge that can go on in our business. And, um, you know, behind the scenes kind of attitude. But I, I refuse to acknowledge it and uh, just go forward. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. <laughs> so when you came back to sing with us at, Buc- at Bucknell, was it yeah. the first time that you had come back to do something like that? Uh, no, they, despite my having left halfway, halfway through my undergraduate years, they decided that I was okay and they liked me <laughs> and I liked them and that's good. And so I came back periodically to do recitals. Uh, they gave me an alumni award, which was marvelous. And I did some work uh, in the new auditorium there, which was just so exciting. Uh, I sang with the Rochester Phil and sang a Baroque um, concert with a New York group, Handel, Handel uh, Opera. So it's you know, there have been a variety of times, and the most recent one was doing a woman's uh, women's pro- song composer's program uh, lecture recital. And that was very, very uh, meaningful just to be back and to talk about something that's very dear to me and to mm-hmm. see a lot of old friends there and to see young students there. It was, it was very gratifying. I hear that a lot of students nowadays don't have a lot of time to go to these recitals. So I was, you know, I was told that this was a better showing than normal. I thought, well, fantastic. You know, that, oh, wow. But they get the word exactly. I just, that's, uh, you get to a certain age, Nancy, where you want the young ones, the younger ones to 
get get the knowledge. I do my best to to sort of imprint it on people, either one on one or in a group. Mm-hmm. This is important material, and if they're receptive, and this was a receptive group, it really was, you know. And with a master class the next day, I felt like uh, I, I was gratifying my need and hopefully passing on something of value to them. And that's that's wonderful. I would think so. Yeah. Especially when you get to go back someplace like that, that you're clearly still so fond of. Oh, I love it. I love it. If I could go back two or three times a year, I would. <laughs> Absolutely would. It's so beautiful. My God. You know, it is. I appreciate it more and more. It is. Yeah. So had you had you done anything with a, an existing, a current chapel choir when you came back before you did the Copeland with us? Uh, no, that, that was uh, the first after having come back. Uh, I sang with the chapel choir when I was young and at the school, and that was wonderful. William McRae was the director, and he was mm-hmm. such a low-key, charming, and knowledgeable man. Uh, he was. He, oh, just lovely guy. Uh, his daughter, Susan, is a good buddy of mine, and I can see them, I uh, see her mother and father and Susan. It's just wonderful to have that feeling. Well, I just, uh, that's that's it. That's the, the first time with Bill Payne. That was a wonderful experience. From, from my point of view, it really, in many ways, and of course, this is a memory that goes back a little longer than I want to think about, but um, to me, it really felt like you were one of us. It, you know, it was it was not like, ooh, this this. Well, okay, it was like this big important person was coming to sing with us, but you were so so much like us in terms of temperament and and the the personality that we all seem to have in the choir. I talked to Bill Payne about this and how we used to joke that he must have, you know, auditioned us for personality as much as anything else and he kind of confirmed that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, I remember times when all of us were, were falling over laughing, including you. It wasn't like, you know, I think we had this impression like this this really famous person is going to come and they're going to be, you know, super serious and never laugh and, and whatever. And it wasn't like that at all, which I think made it so much more fun. We really enjoyed having you there. Oh, me too. I And, you know, how boring to be stuffy. My God, you know, have to have a joke <laughs> or two or three at least, you know. <laughs> We do that at the dinner table, too. Now, what happened today? Well, let's see. I tied my shoelaces, and, you know, and then I uh, <laughs> I, I changed the car oil, and, and then everybody starts to nod off and snore, and we have fun. We have fun being silly. So thank God for it. Yeah. So so what did you think? When, I mean, I assume that, that Bill called you and said, hey, would you be interested in coming to do this? Was it completely out of the blue, or... Did you have any idea he was planning something? Well, I, I, I caught wind of it. I knew him. I, I think I'd had a conversation or two with him uh, on the phone. And it was a little bit that way. Um, I, I don't know how how he had concocted the program, but he certainly, <laughs> had, you know, it's just really fantastic. He, he got the funding. He got the, the engineering, which was well done. And certainly the, um, the acoustic was fantastic. And then you folks did such a good job. My God, that piece is so hard, just so hard. Mm -hmm. My God, you know, you folks sang it perfectly. And I was probably not not quite perfect, but, you know, we were able to sustain the harmony and 
and the tonality, and, and it, it went off pretty dang well. So that was gratifying. And it then, did. You know, <laughs> really it was. And, and then the other uh, the other music that went with it was, was very, very, very telling, and, and I think it's very well suited. Rudy Palmer's music, that's so gorgeous, my God. You know, it's such yeah. a beautiful piece. So that was that was well considered on Bill part Bill's part. And uh to have some of those other American songs brought into the mix I think was was just right. He had a real sense of a good man. Yeah. Well and and you know, the it's it's interesting because we did that recording for the C D in American Collage, which had a lot more of you on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then we did Boston where we first did the Copeland. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I mean, I know he and I discussed this too. He never said to us, this is really hard. We might not be able to do it. Oh. You know, it was just, here it is. This is what we're going to sing. Right. Just get on you know, with it. it, it was a, yeah. It was a little bit later that he told us that um, Jim Jordan from Westminster had reacted quite strongly in disbelief when he said that this was what we were going to do. And I think when he picked it, he knew that we were going to ACDA. I'm sure he did. Mm-hmm. But it was never, you know, hey, we don't know if this is going to work. We might have to do something else. Never, never anything like that with him on any piece, but definitely not with that one. And so, you know, we we just went in following him. I mean, we'd, have, we'd have followed him anywhere. So Yeah, I know. He's that kind of guy. You know, and and it's funny because even even though I've sung this piece and even though you're saying the same thing that, that he said last week and that Jim Jordan said, it's a really, really hard piece. It doesn't feel that way to me. And I think it's because he just never presented it that way. Or is that something? So there may, there may have been some element of, we don't know if we'll pull this off, but if there was, he never said a word about it. And so, you know, we just went and, and did our thing and it, at least to me, it just felt seamless and and comparatively easy. Not as easy as, I mean, still, still, still that we sang at that performance is beautiful, but nowhere near as complicated as the Copeland. Right. But it just kind of all felt like it belonged together. And so I, I don't know if you had any trepidation when he told you that that was what we were going to sing or not. But, you know, it's it's interesting that he has that way of just kind of being like, nope, this is what we're going to do. Isn't that smart? Such, such a wise person, just to kind of forward motion, go ahead and take care of it, it'll be fine. And that's that's true and seems to me in in music making, just do your thing, get on with it. And, you know, he, he presented it so well, conducted it, rehearsed it so well, the whole thing really was seamless. And to get it, get to do it, you know, and do a beautiful job and record it and sing it in concert, my God, good stuff. Have you done it in other places? Uh, I had. I'd done it in Washington. I filed before that, Washington, D.C., and had gotten a chance to coach with Mr. Copeland himself. He Ooh. came. I know. I, it was, I, I was intimidated, to say the least, but um, he was the most easygoing person I think I've ever met. You know, very, really? Very relaxed. He was there at the coaching, and just a few little suggestions here and there. Uh, but but nothing nothing earth shattering, you know. Just extremely low key, extremely kind, you know. And and just even if he conducted a little bit, it was it was just very seamless and really as though he was part of the music, and he was. It was his music. So sure. That was 
just a wonderful experience to get to know somebody like that who, as you say, uh, has a name, but it, he didn't present that way. It was wonderful. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. That must have been it. really cool. It was. It was. You know, it just goes to show uh, that people are people, and uh, some are more approachable than others, and he certainly was just kind, kind person. So I'm, I'm grateful to have that experience. Sure. Is there anyone else like that that stands out for you that you've been able to work with? Oh, God, there are a lot of people who are approachable and, and nice people. Um, I, don't, I don't know why this just came through my mind, uh, because maybe the anniversary had just come through. But Leonard Bernstein, mm. just a, a great, great soul, you know, kind soul. I don't know whether that was true across the board, but he was uh, very decent to me. Uh, it was a tanglewood, and he he needed uh, on the spur of the moment somebody to come and sing the Missa Solemnis of Beethoven in a big rehearsal with the orchestra. And so I was there with the chorus. He said, "Come on and sing it." I thought, "Oh, okay." So I sang the alto <laughs> solo. <laughs> Why not? You know what the hell? Sang the alto solo, and I've I've never received so many bear hugs in my entire life. Um, wow. Very, very warm person. I've heard that from others. You know, it just could be an enveloping personality, you know, a little excitable, uh, a little over the top. But, oh, my God, you know, talk about earthy and and uh, kindly. It was really something. So grateful for so that. So a little, a little over the top as opposed to larger than life, which is more what I would have guessed? Uh, probably a little bit of both. He was, <laughs> he was a big personality, but he, you know, on the podium, he, you could tell he was working at heart, you know, to get this to happen. This was, this was his involvement. I just love that about people. I guess I didn't think of him in, um, in terms of being a God. I just thought, my God, this man is such a hard worker. My goodness. So, uh, that was, just an impression of him mm-hmm. that he really was a little over the top because that music is over the top. Oh, and, sure. Uh, you know, he handled it all with, with greater land and excitement and yeah, well, he was Leonard Bernstein. So it was a good experience. Wow. Is, is there a, a particular performance that stands out as a favorite for you? Would it be that one or? Oh my God. I that that's hard to answer that. Tough call, right? <laughs> I love so many performances. I just I can't well, give I can't us a glimpse them. of a couple of them. <laughs> oh goodness! Um, well, gosh, there was there were a lot of BSO performances I did. There was a uh, a fun one when I when I did Falstaff, Meg Page and Falstaff with Sejuzawa. We staged it and this and that, and you know there were some other staged. Uh, things that I did with the BSO, a lot of BSO stuff, and uh, a lot of other orchestral things. New York, Phil um, had some good experiences there. So, you know, it's just hard to pinpoint because I guess I, I try to just jump right in with both feet, whatever it is I'm doing, and just, you know, get get really with it. And sometimes mm-hmm. it really, do, you know, it just, I'm sure you've had this experience where the, the, the night was special and everything came together and it's, it's, it leaves a big imprint 
when that mm-hmm. happens. It's really, thank God for it, you know, and we have something to carry with us. Yes. Good stuff. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. What about, I, I know that there are certain things that, that when I sing them, they just feel really, really good to sing. Yep. Are there things like that for you? Is there a favorite thing you like to, you enjoy singing more than anything else? Oh, goodness. You really are asking me the hard questions. Like, <laughs> I like to sing more than what I have to learn. It doesn't have to be the very, very top. I know it's hard to rank things when you're not expecting the question. but if No, that's okay. Um, yeah, if there's anything that you really love. Well, I, I, geez, I, I love Shepherd on the Rock of Schubert. Uh, that can just be a wonderfully gratifying piece. Um, I love Parto Parto, that aria from Clemente de Tito. Love stuff with clarinet. What can I tell you? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I love chamber music. I love opera to a degree. Uh, love handle. Well, if I could do nothing but handle, I'd be happy. So there's a lot of things that that I think um, for most people are, are self gratifying. You know that they find something that feeds their their music their musical soul, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm glad for that. What is it about Handel that you love so much more than, say, you know, Bach or whoever? Oh, Bach's okay, too. I forgot Bach. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't quite know. I mean, Bach sometimes gets a little bit too complex for my taste. Mm-hmm. Handel can be a little bit more um, laid out, and then you can fill in the gaps a little bit more. So for some reason that satisfies some needs. So all these are just so subjective, don't you think? It's like wait, oh, absolutely. why this and not that? And you know, I'll, I'll take Bach though. You know, if, if somebody's <laughs> offering Bach, <laughs> that's good stuff. Oh boy! And it's a little bit of an unfair question because I could ask you the same question next week and you might say something different. Yeah, well, I love. Yeah, I'm a kind of a universalist. I like a lot of different things. Well, that's probably handy because I'm sure you've had to sing such a wide variety of things. Well, that's true. Uh, We sort of live in an era where everybody wants to specialize. And I knew I was in trouble when I didn't want to just be a Baroque specialist. Mm -hmm. That bored me to tears. So um, I just, I said, well, what the hell? You know, I'm going to sing whatever comes my way. And if my voice can handle it and I can make it work, um, and, and get something out of it for the audience and for me, then I'll do it. And that has its good and bad points, you know, because mm-hmm. we are in that era. Well, don't you want to be a specialist? No, that bores me. You know, it just bores me. So I never did it, but I'm glad I had all those other experiences. Yeah, I think you've, your your range of experiences has to be much wider because you didn't do that. Yep. And that's to me, um, I guess everybody, again, is different, but that keeps me going. You know, the challenge of, and now we're singing some contemporary music, and now tomorrow we're going to sing some early music. And, you know, keeps you. How about a little opera? You know, I, I think that's fun. Just great fun. That's fantastic. And and you're teaching at New England Conservatory now. Back to my my alma mater, teaching mm-hmm. there, and, and mostly loving it all. Um, I've been there for a long time. Whoops. 
I don't know if you can hear that, but um, I've been teaching there 25 years in the college division, which was good. I loved it. And now for the last six years in the prep division, I teach these older high school kids who are really devoted. They're part of a Handel and Haydn apprentice program, Handel and Haydn Society. And they're devoted to music and to possible careers in music and voice. And we just sent three of them off to one to Juilliard, one to Northwestern, and the other one to the University of Michigan. And so oh, nice. very excited. They're very talented. And that, uh, that again, pleases me. I think you arrive at different points in your life where things, different things please you and gratify you. And this is the time for for the students to be boosted up and sent on their way. So I'm glad I can do that. Sure. How do you find teaching? I mean, do you draw a lot on what you learned from your teachers or is it more from your own experience? Um, I guess a little bit of both. But the, the teacher who was really important to me, uh, her name was Gladys Miller. She taught at NEC, and I had her towards the end of my time there. She, just by force of personality and her understanding of music, she's the one that's imprinted on me, and I bring her forward. A lot of humor, mm-hmm. a lot of silliness. I wish I had more of her humor, just quips <laughs> and ability. But she would be one of these people um, who would say, okay, honey, what are you singing now today? And uh, what's the key? And she'd do a stride bass or whatever bass she wanted to do. And then she knew the tune. It went on and on. I don't know how many thousands of pieces she knew. But she had a remarkable ability. Wow. Um, got me to sing in ways that I never thought I could. So um, and just because of that kind of teaching around the edges, she she would get to you. And I this I'm sure she used on others. Not the, the direct action. You must this, you must that. It was very indirect. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was a lot of knowledge that came through, nonetheless. And five lessons a week, which you can't do now, but I had about 20, 25 minutes every day and then sit on the couch and listen to really something. That's the old Italian technique. And then you'd sit there and listen to other people sing. And so it it was your life. You just lived the life. And you heard it and you sang it and you had a cup of coffee and then you came back again and you sang it and lived it. So that's she immersed me, and oh, I can't do that to students now. Nonetheless, I try to imprint some of these ideals that she passed on to me. And I guess some of my performing experience, I suppose, throw it in the mix too. Why not? You know, and bring <laughs> that to bear. And uh, so it's it's been really gratifying. It sounds like it. Yeah. Are there things that your students have taught you? Oh, always. Always. You know, they... To me, this is not just somebody holding forth. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's learning about the other person, understanding their difficulties and their challenges, um, helping them to overcome themselves. And oftentimes, students will come forth with something that I I find to be, you know, very unusual and and helpful to me and probably to others. You know, their view of the world and their mm-hmm. ideals for the future. I, I'm gratified to know that there, there's just not a lot of kids running around, you know, they're bobbing along with no idea of what, what the world means or what they can give to the world, that there are these kids who, who really have a, a passion and a desire to be of some service and create beauty in the world, which we're needing more and more desperately. And so, Definitely. you know, I'm so grateful 
for them and their and their feeling and their care. What happens if if one of them starts to lose faith? How do you handle that? Um, faith in general, or faith in terms of or in themselves? themselves. Yeah, um, I I think that everybody goes through a trough, a period where mm-hmm. you know you you get discouraged and you're unsure, and it's hard to commit anymore or motivate anymore. And so um, at that point, I usually get a little quiet and talk things through, uh, finding out what's what's disturbing them, if possible, and finding ways to bring it back, because everybody's going to have a little trouble here and there. Mm-hmm. Students, students oftentimes, and maybe you've seen this or experienced this, they go through these these waves, you know, where things are up and then things are down, and they had this, that, and that, the other thing happened. And um, just to find a means to help them slowly overcome their feelings. You know, sometimes they've lost weight, sometimes they've gained weight, sometimes they have a vocal difficulty, sometimes it can be fairly serious, or sometimes it's allergies, or their minds are exhausted from mm-hmm. too much being thrown at them. And I try to address it as best I can if I see it and understand it, just to say that, that uh, you know, take a rest, mentally take a rest vocally, go and meditate, you know, think about what you, you need and want and write it down, um, or just let it be for a while, sometimes just letting it sit. So it's, um, it's life, especially for a singer, I think. That makes sense to me. Yeah, I think that's true for all sorts of artists, but but yeah, anything where your body is part of what you're doing, I think there's more potential for fear and trepidation and discouraging moments. Right. I think they really are. I just hope to re-inspire them and uh, sometimes I'll get them a video of somebody, you know, who, oh, listen to this or go see that Pavarotti movie, which is out there now. I found that just to be amazingly inspiring. So I hope they all went. I don't know. Maybe they didn't. But uh, (laughs) here's somebody, you know, maybe it was a major artist. Maybe he didn't have that many struggles, but many ways he really did. And Mm -hmm. here's how he overcame them. This is just one example. And try to relate uh, to him as a person. Because did you see the movie, Nancy? It was really remarkable. I haven't yet, no. Well, it was a lot of it was behind the scenes and a little mm-hmm. bit was airbrushed, but there was some of it that, that wasn't, you know, the mm-hmm. times when, you know, he was lonely or exhausted, you know, and he had to pull it together. Um, sure. But um, again, another personality who was uh, very open, very warm. He loved people, loved people. Oh my God. You know, so you, you see it. If you don't cry, I'll, I'd be amazed. Be able to I'll, be I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> All right, please. It's just remarkable, remarkable, good stuff. That's great. Yeah. So, do you notice a, a difference in how you work with kids in the high school age versus college age, undergrad age? Um, undergrad and grad, I had both. Uh, what What is lacking is that they, you know, they may be head of their class and maybe are singing all the the major roles that are thrown to them. But there's an, 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 uh, a kind of a naivety and a sweetness to many of them. Uh, and if they are defensive, 
I, I try to work through that to get them to to find an emotional core that's more real and more human uh, so that they can express themselves. And they're a little bit more amenable to all that, it seems to me, at least the ones that I've taught, than the college kids who come in. They've already been, you know, the head of their class and they're going to reach for the stars and they'll be singing the major role in their opera at the school tomorrow. And the answer is maybe not. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what I've said to any college kid is remember, everybody in your class was the star, everybody. And the school doesn't hire on bad voices. And you know, mm-hmm. they, they want the best. So your job is to take care of your talent, take care of your voice, do your best and slowly, you know, become who you're going to become as a singer. And, you know, when you're ready for a role, the time will come. So no, nobody's happy with that, of course. You know, <laughs> what? No, tomorrow. No, no, that's okay. Yeah, then they find out what it is and find their place within the school. And that's that's expected. That's expected. Isn't that curious how everybody wants to just jump in and do their thing right this minute? And yet, I don't think that any of us really, when we when we start something like that, stop to think about how there there is merit and even comfort in figuring out where you belong first. Right. I agree. I agree. Well, I, I, I guess they paid attention because they did okay. <laughs> and I, you know, they, somebody said, or several people said, well, you know, I, I came in thinking I was going to get this out of the school and then I got something different. Well, I mm-hmm. said, was it, was it as valuable? Oh, oh yes. And probably maybe more so. So, uh, it's a match, yeah. you know, maturing process. Yeah. I think the things that we don't expect sometimes are way more valuable than the ones we, we expect or even want. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, it's always, always a challenge, but the high school kids, there's a sweetness there, you know, on a, and a kind of a, a growth that you see more and more very startling mm-hmm. when you take somebody who's a freshman or sophomore and then there were seniors like, wow. Isn't this something when you, you see them by leaps and bounds become more more adult and more mature and more confident, more caring, and uh, it's just really something. Yeah, having taught high school kids, I would agree with that. Yep. Good stuff. A lot happens in those four years. Oh, yeah. And there's something. I love it. Just love it. Really does. Yep. But it's also interesting to me because this this happened to some of some of us in my MFA program in writing, you know, where we'd have that moment of doubt and we would think, do I really belong here? Was I admitted by mistake? You know, but like you said, you know, if, if you're in a school like that, you're there because they want you to be there. But it's so easy to doubt that anyway. It is. It is. And I, I think some, not everybody laughs at a, at a school like NEC. I think traditionally, uh, not always true, but it, it seems like the class size kind of divides in half by the end of the sophomore year because mm-hmm. it isn't a college. It is not a college. Thank God I had okay. a college experience, but it's, this is a conservatory and uh, it's a professional school and it, it doesn't offer that degree of sort of safety and connectivity that you may get at a college or even a, a university program. So uh, they, they often, oftentimes they can't handle the stress. 
they can't handle the pressure. So, but those who say, you know, they, it can be very gratifying. So you had mentioned that when we first started talking that, you know, you kind of wish that you had stayed at Bucknell. Do you have advice for, you know, kids who are trying to decide whether they're better off at a conservatory or at a regular undergrad institution with a really good music program? Uh, it's so individual. It's hard for me to say. I know the, mm-hmm. the three girls that um, that went on to, that are going on to these college experiences this next year. I knew that one of them would get into a Juilliard. She's top mm-hmm. drawer. She's just an, an amazing talent, amazing intellect, amazing musician. And she has a good chance of making it in this world. Uh, mm-hmm. The other two, um, they, they, I kept saying, well, don't you want to try X, Y, or Z? And, you know, <laughs> and they were like, but I feel better here. I'm like, okay, come, you know, I can, I can only say so much. And then mm-hmm. I, I did say, but, but keep it in the back of your mind, these schools and these teachers that you've talked to, because in the future, you never know. Mm-hmm. There may be a master's program that you want to continue with, and this may be another viable area to go to other school so you know i always say to people don't don't uh, collapse your bridge, bridges you've gone over but you may need to go back over them again and uh, right you know, utilize that experience so i don't know anybody's listening to me anymore who knows but i i do <laughs> <laughs> i do say hey college is a great experience great experience you know uh, bucknell i think still would be good for some people even more so because it's a bigger music division and, and the facilities mm-hmm. are fantastic. And the teachers, from what I saw, really, you know, top drawer. So it, it could well be a, a wonderful experience for many, many people. Well, it's great that you've had both of those experiences. So you can speak to both of them with a kid who's trying to decide. That's true. That's true. I try to show both sides of the coin. Um, but nowadays, uh, young people are not exactly like those from my era um, who listened to their parents back then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my mother said, wouldn't you like to go to Bucknell? No, I want to go to a conservatory. Well, let's make a deal. So I made a deal with her. You go there for a while and then, you know, see how you, you like it or don't. And then we can reconsider later. And so we did. And I'm not sorry, not for a minute, not for a minute. She was very wise. And any time I get a chance to take a parent to the side and say, by the way, uh, make sure, you know, that, that what you're paying for and what you feel this this uh, uh, young person needs are one and the same, you know, that you're not mm-hmm. signing off on anybody in any way, shape or, shape or form, you know, that they are not necessarily complete adults at this point that they are still young people and they need you to be involved to a degree. You may not think so, but um, don't sign off on anything. <laughs> anyway, yeah. that's, that's the biggest piece of advice because I've seen some uh, crash and burns at the conservatory. Mm-hmm. People, young people, they, they should have, the parents should have had some knowledge of what was happening. And I guess across the board, that doesn't happen very often anymore. You know, the, the young people are on their own and their privacy issues are paramount, which I get. But then again, they're not quite adults yet. So, right. um, you know, it's just it's just my old fashioned self, you know, try to try to be <laughs> conservative and try to do the right thing for the young person. So, Well, there's nothing wrong with that. No, 
no, I, I still talk about it, you know, and hope that somebody's listening. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. What is, what do you think it takes to get through conservatory these days that kids might not necessarily realize it takes to get through? I uh, well, it's it's a. I, I would say it's the YouTube generation. You know, mm. I'll just listen to this twenty five times and then sing it, and the answer is no. No, it's it's called you read music. You know, you pick up the mm-hmm. score, you read the notes down, and you sing it or whatever it is, and and then the theory. It comes is probably more rigorous than they're used to, or even the piano class, piano skills. They don't oftentimes have it in the high school. They may have a great or very fine talent and may have been, uh, you know, in the shows and highlighted and so forth. But that doesn't mean that you've gone in depth with the music. Mm -hmm. So that's the shock for most of them now. And what I do in my own little way is to force the issue. You know, in the past, I would give them music they couldn't find on YouTube, and um, then they'd have to deal with it. What do you mean? I can't right. find this on YouTube. No, nope. <laughs> absolutely not. I doubt it most sincerely. Uh, oh, you mean I have to learn it? Yep. You know, and yep. here's here's a sheet of information on how to learn it. Go ahead, and I'll help you. But, you know, go ahead and involve yourself. Oh, my goodness. Oh, the, the whining and the carrying on. Uh, it's pretty great, but by the time they've headed for the senior year or farther into their masters, they've they've you know coped up, as they say, and gotten it together if they if they wanted to continue on. And there is a lot of handholding these days, awful lot of handhold tutoring and carrying mm-hmm. on. My goodness, because the backgrounds often are not what they should be. Uh, many of the graduate students that come to conservatory, not just NEC don't have a language underneath them from their college mm. experience. Well, we had diction, and that's the only thing we need. I'm like, I don't think so. So NEC has had to provide, and I think this is true across the board, has had to provide a two-year program of German and French. I guess they mm-hmm. figure Italian somehow. They'll have picked up the Italian, and hopefully they can gain more of it uh, as a language a little bit later as things go on. So that's the that's the difficulty nowadays, Nancy. The expectations are are sliding downward, and then they have to be picked up uh, for mm-hmm. them to graduate to be able to to function in the real world. And I always just have said that: make sure you're getting what you need to function, because otherwise, right. it, it, nothing. Nobody will wait for you after the fact. Those that have gained it, have decided to push themselves forward, will be the ones that will win it out. So. Um, Still true. Still true. Still true. And, and, you know, it's it's interesting to me, you know, I've never done music on that level. But when you're talking about, yes, you need to learn this piece, you know, and you need to know it inside and out. I have often noticed because, you know, I'm here right near Princeton and in the summer, Westminster Choir College usually does a, an open sing or two where anybody could show up and, you know, maybe it's, you know, the B minor mass or probably not because that would be too hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, one of one of them that I went to was the the Von Williams Dona Nobis Pachem mm. a couple several years back. I heard this thing on the radio. I bought the recording because I absolutely loved it. And I would, I, I'm that weirdo who you know would drive to work blasting it out of her car in the morning. <laughs> and, and so yeah, I went because I thought this is going to be great. I'm finally going to get to sing this. 
And it just, it, it was a stumbling mess. And I think there were enough other people there that it sounded like something, but it wasn't like when you go to do the Far A or, you know, the Mozart Requiem or, or the Schubert Mass in G or whatever that everybody knows. And, and that was really when I realized that there's such a huge difference between hearing something and knowing it to hear it and actually knowing that piece from the inside out. Yep. Whereas, you know, I mean, I can have parts that are my favorite thing to listen to, but they very, very well may not be the same parts that are my favorites to sing, that there's something very different that happens in that process, but also that you just can't really, really, truly appreciate a piece of music until you really know it. Yep, that's very true. I, I went to that foray saying and, you know, recently with a friend who'd never sung it before. And I found myself kind of kind of feeling a little bit bad for her because I thought, OK, it's great that you're getting to sing this for the first time and it's not a hard piece of music, but it's not the same as when you know it and you're really looking forward to it and you just go because you know what you're doing. There's there's something so different about those two processes. Oh, very, very, very. I guess if, if you were to go back to the idea of what people finally get from conservatory or a good uh, good university or whatever music program, I I hope this is still true that the solfege needs to be really tightened up. You know, you really need your skills. You know, mm-hmm. the, the rhythmic dictation and the oral skills and the unless it's there, I might as well pack it up. You know, if you want to be a professional solo singer, is because this. You know, this has to be, you know, you'll have to open up the score and be able to sing it down oftentimes with no rehearsal, a little rehearsal or, and then everybody's, well, I don't want to do that. And the answer is, well, let's see, did you want to have this career and make money <laughs> or do you just want to go home and sing for yourself? Or what, what is it that we're hoping to do? So the real world, of course, is something very different from what everybody imagines, but the, the better they have their skills together, reading, clef reading, even, I believe in that very, very strongly. I'd love to get those skills back myself and, uh, you know, get your rhythmic skills really, really tightened up. You're going to have a chance in this world and the chance may come, you know, somebody may pick up the phone and say, Mary Jane Diddley Bop is sick tonight and we need somebody tomorrow, a- ASP, to sing this down and we'll pay you thousands of dollars. And you're mm-hmm. going to say, no, I'm sorry. I can't read like that. And the answer is no, go ahead. You know, check it out. If you, if you have the skills, you should be able to read a lot of music down. So um, that's, that's what I hope people get out of it. You know, gain those skills for themselves. Cause otherwise the real world ain't a picnic. Head to the older function. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I think that that goes in, in so many different ways, you know, it's, it's, I don't think you have to be a singer to be able to, to say, if the opportunity presents itself, I'm going to take it, you know, it's, I've, I've talked on this podcast before about the improv rule in theater that is you say yes, and, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and obviously, you're not going to say yes, and to everything, you know, you're the famous example that your mother always gave of if everybody else were jumping off the Empire State Building, don't say yes and to that. Uh, <laughs> at least not without a really good parachute. Uh, yes, that's right. Uh, but, you know, I mean, the more I think the more you're open to things like that, and the more you can say yes and to what life throws at you, the the more you get to do and, the you know, especially things that you never would have thought that you would do. But if they turn up, you want to be ready to actually jump on them. Absolutely. And then, you know, you build a reputation that way. I don't know. So I, I hope that 
somebody's listening. <laughs> you know, <I> keep, <laughs> keep talking about it. And they, they get those skills anyway, despite themselves. So that's, thank God for it. That's, that's kind of funny when you end up with those skills in spite of yourself. It's yep. kind of poetically <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Isn't it something? Thank God for it. Mercy, mercy. Oh, great. Good stuff. Well, that's really good stuff. Yep. Well, I'm glad that you said yes and back when I was at Bucknell because it was an awful lot of fun and it's been an awful lot of fun talking to you now. Oh, you as well. You know, I could always talk about Bucknell forever and ever. You know, <laughs> so many great things to say about it. And uh, we'll yeah. you know, keep the keep the Bucknellian spirit going. Well, we'll do our best. Absolutely. We'll do our best. So, but but thanks again for doing this. This is really fun. Thanks, Nancy. All the best. Appreciate it. That's our show for this week. Don't forget, I've included some recording links in the show notes. You can give them a listen at fycuriosity.com. My thanks to Donna Fortunato and to you. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please do share it with a friend. Thanks. You can find show notes, the six creative beliefs that are screwing you up, and more at fycuriosity.com. I'd also love for you to join the conversation on Instagram. You'll find me at fycuriosity. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. See you next time.